if we want to see police reform in this country, we have to recognize that police stop black and brown folks every single day because of the scent of cannabis alone, right? We need to be able to change all those laws. We need to be able to legalize cannabis so that we can change those, those, those laws. Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Guest, here to bring you a special conversation on marijuana policy reform. Today, I am joined by Steve Hawkins. He's the executive director of the Marijuana Policy Project and president and CEO of the U.S. Cannabis Council. So let's get some information about Steve. Steve began his career as an attorney with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. He then served as executive director of the National Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty. Steve was later named executive vice president of the NAACP. Steve has also served as president of the Coalition for Public Safety. And of course, as we said, he's also the two, uh, he's the top executive of the two organizations that we mentioned earlier, uh, the Marijuana Policy Project and the U.S. Cannabis Council. Lastly, Steve is a graduate of Harvard College and NYU School of Law. So, Steve, highly qualified person. We appreciate you being on the show. Glad to be on, Adrian. Awesome, awesome. Well, Steve, the first segment is going to be kind of looking at, you know, current events as far as state and federal policy. And when we look at, you know, Gallup polls, even from Pew Research, we can see that about two out of every three Americans support marijuana legalization. Uh, many states um, have already taken it up and made it recreational or at least medicinally legal. But it seems like it's an issue that the federal government has just unfortunately left up to the states. So, Steve, for our first question, what are you seeing as the main reason as to why the federal government just won't bend on this issue when so many people are in favor of it? Yeah, I, I think the, the main reason is that, you know, we have two groups in Congress, right? We have an older group of folks who still see cannabis as a dangerous drug who've been really, Adrian, impacted by, what, 60 years of U.S. propaganda, right? Um, you know, the war on drugs started in 1970 when Nixon, as president at the time, put cannabis on the same schedule as a dangerous drug as heroin. And no one in their right mind sees <laughs> cannabis and heroin the same. But it was done very deliberately by by Nixon to go after, you know, Black Panthers and, and, and others at the time. So going back to Congress, you have an older set of folks um, and, you know, Joe Biden as president of the United States sort of falls in that group. And then you have a younger group of Congress men and women and really across political stripes who have a very different view on, uh, on cannabis. Um, and what we are faced with now is Congress having to catch up to where the states are, right? Because as you pointed out, we're, we're seeing almost 70% support for cannabis legalization in the United States. It, it cuts across geographies, political lines, um, and what we've seen just in this last year, um, we've seen 
from the ballot uh, efforts in 2020, where we saw states like South Dakota, you know, deep red states legalize cannabis, as well as blue states like New, New Jersey. Um, we have now 19 states that have legalized fully for adult use. I think soon we'll have half of the country. And I think, Adrian, as that continues, as well as the 36 states that have legalized for, for a medical, uh, Congress will ultimately have to act. <laughs> and we see right now, you know, Senator Booker, um, uh, Majority Leader Schumer, and Senator Wyden, they have put forward this can uh, the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, which would end federal prohibition. Um, and that's the beginning, right? It, it, um, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're going to push in this session to, to, to see it happen as, as the U.S. Cannabis Council and the Marijuana Policy Project. Um, so I think we're, we're, we're on the road to seeing the end of federal pro prohibition and making sure that cannabis is, you know, uh, considered in the same way that we consider, you know, alcohol, for example, as, as, uh, as, you know, an adult re recreational activity, but also as you point pointed out in terms of medicinal, I mean, cannabis has been used for 5,000 years right? <laughs> for, for, you know, going back to the Mayans, right? I mean, folks have understood the, the medicinal therapeutic powers of of the plant for generations and um and and that has to be um considered in, in in all of this because it brings tremendous relief to patients from everything from migraines being able to sleep at night if you have um pptsd um just pain relief in general i mean it it will do as do do as well as opioids without ever causing addiction, um, uh, anxiety relief, and, and and so forth. Yeah, Steve. I mean, that's that that that's in it in a nutshell. So many different reasons to why it, it shouldn't be so much opposition to it. But you know, your de uh, deputy director Matthew uh, Scheich said, you know, and we're talking about Ohio, um, that a lot of Republicans in Ohio are kind of worried about this issue because it's more Democratic favorable. And it makes me wonder, Steve. You know, whenever we talk about issues like healthcare, infrastructure, policing, you know, voting rights, all of these things are good table stakes. And you know, we know that we've got midterms coming up, but marijuana policy seems like it should also be added to the list. As y'all are going throughout all the states, I know we said we've got, you know, deep red like South Dakota who passed it. But are you seeing some fear uh, amongst the GOP to kind of put this issue on the ballot because they think it's going to cause them to lose seats in favor of the Democrats? Well, it, to me, if if the GOP was smart, they would embrace <laughs> cannabis legalization. Um, that's certainly where. The, their constituents are uh, going. You know, Adrian, we have to get cannabis legalization in the same space that we finally got criminal justice. Mm -hmm. Remember all those years that it was just seen as a democratic issue and finally folks came, came around. Cannabis legalization um, uh, is headed in that, that, that direction uh, because folks cannot deny what their constituents are voting on, right? 
we're at the point right now in this country that if I could put the question on the ballot in any state, should cannabis be legalized? We will win. We will win straight, straight out. Um, but not every state allows that process, right? So we're seeing, you know, legislatures begin to take this up. Um, but, you know, we saw Alabama bring in a medical cannabis program, you know, last year through the legislature. So, so you know, this ground is shifting. Um, I think the Republican strategists are going to begin to say to themselves, look, you know, um, we, 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 we have to be in a different place on, on cannabis legalization. Um, and, you know, and I'm encouraged by some of the younger people coming into Congress. Um, Nancy Mace, um, out of South Carolina come, comes to mind, who has a very different view on this than, you know, other Republican Congress people. Perfect. Perfect. I'm glad to hear that. That was one thing I saw as I was kind of, you know, uh, browsing the website. Um, and just kind of to round off this segment, Steve, um, I, I've been looking at this issue in several different ways. Um, we've, we had an episode about the history of weed. Um, uh, we've had an episode about the war on drugs and, and we, we've really learned that, you know, this issue is a civil rights issue. And we've kind of talked about that. Right. I even think about it also an employment issue because the pandemic has shown us that we need some new industries to get people back to work. Um, but one of the things I think about, Steve, with it being recreationally legal, like I live in California, you still have some employers who would drug test. And when I think about it, you mentioned alcohol. You know, we don't do any sort of, you know, testing for alcohol. Um, and obviously we don't want people to come to work high, but they also don't come to work drunk. So what's, what's really being done to maybe help shift the employment narrative around, you know, marijuana testing? Well, you know, I'm I'm glad you you raised that, Adrian, because while we're, you know, our political fight is really on two fronts. It's to get cannabis legalized, but then also to remove some of these stigmas, right? To normalize can cannabis, because the reality is, folks have been using cannabis and high functioning, you know, and again, you know, not coming to work high, but you should not be. Um, you should not be penalized for what you do on a Saturday night when you come to work on Monday morning. Um, and and so I'm encouraged by the fact that Amazon, you know, one of the country's largest employers, has now taken the position that they will stop, um, you know, that kind of testing. Um, you know, Ted Bezos gets <laughs> gets a gets a bad rap in, in uh, some quarters, but this is actually something good that, that, that he's promoting. And I think, you know, most, most HR departments real, realize that. I mean, I certainly have had those kind of private conversations where folks are like, Steve, this is, this is real, ridiculous. So I, I think as, as we see cannabis legalized in states, we're going to see more and more employers saying, look, it's legal in, in the state. Um, I don't have any problem as long as someone isn't coming to work high. Uh, California companies have been starting to to do that um, uh, uh, regularly, Adrian. Um, there's one other thing, and maybe we can talk about it more in, in to, you know, at some point, but also making sure that 
folks of color get jobs in the cannabis industry is something I'm very focused on. I want to make sure that folks get licenses and entrepreneurship opportunities, but I also want to make sure that we don't we don't shy away from entering into this industry because of any kind of stigma that we might have on it, right? Um, you know, this is an industry that's still going to create 700,000 more jobs and, you know, decent head of household jobs, right? Where you will make six-figure salaries. Um, and, you know, we're, we're working right now with one of the leading um leading uh, organizations in the country that places young Black youth in internship programs. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm getting some pushback, right? I, I, I can't na- name them, but this is a fight, right? Where, where they're saying, well, I'm not sure this makes sense for us. And I'm saying, look, so we're going to have hopefully a meeting where we can, we're going to point out like 10 different jobs in companies that have salaries that range from 75,000 to 125, 130,000 that, you know, we need to make sure that our young people start getting placed in this industry and not be shy about that at, at all. You know, Adrian, we will have lived to see two industries created from scratch in the United States. One was the tech industry. The other is going to be cannabis. We missed the train on tech, most of us, <laughs> but we cannot afford to miss this opportunity. Um, and uh, and so these are these are, I think, the the policy issues as well as some pragmatic issues about how we get into the industry and take full advantage. Yeah, Steve, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, Our second segment, which we're going to take a break and and get into that, but it's going to be talking about uh, taxation um, and how we can really work to reinvest in our communities. And also later in our third segment, we're we're going to be talking about the other part that you talked about, which is these barriers to entry for minority communities. So we are going to be hitting that because that's some that's some good stuff, because like I said, I live in California. And I was thinking about, you know, helping people start cannabis businesses. And it's not that easy. Most of it's corporate uh, companies because it takes a lot of capital. So uh, we're going to take our first break, Steve. Uh, listeners, stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our second segment. Remember, we're joined by Steve Hawkins. He's executive director of the Marijuana Policy Project. So as I said before the break, Steve, our second segment, we're going to talk about taxation. Now, looking at 2020, you know, California, I think, had about a billion dollars in tax revenue. Washington, about 500 million. Colorado, about 400 million. And I'm talking about those three because they legalize it first and they make up the majority share of sales in the United States. But those are huge numbers, Steve. And I mean, we're going through a pandemic where people are talking about budget cuts, talking about trying to interject trillions of dollars into building infrastructure and how to pay for it. But we've got, you know, the marijuana industry, the cannabis industry, 
with so much money as we can see here. So why isn't this a, a bigger selling point to really get people to see why we should have a robust marijuana industry in America? Well, you know, uh, there there are there are folks who certainly see that, um, but you're right; it, it it just hasn't grabbed hold. Now, you know, Adrian, in in several states, uh, as cannabis, you know, legalization has been debated, right? In this cold COVID period, that that a point has been raised, right? Remember, we go back to the end of alcohol prohibition. Part of what drove it was the country was coming out of the Great Depression <laughs> and they needed that re- revenue. Um, and so it it makes perfect sense. Um, and it is certainly one of the, those points that we make all of the time that this this market already exists. Right. You know, it's it's in the legacy space. Right. And the states haven't, you know, a, a opportunity to tax and regulate and um, and and make make cannabis legal and with that get get the um, get the taxes. But there's there's a couple of other points uh, on that though, Adrian, that, that I think are important. One is what happens to that tax money, right? It, it cannot all just go back into the general coffers of the state. We as communities that were impacted by the war on drugs, black and brown communities where the police harassed um, black and brown youth over cannabis, um, the, the war on drugs was unleashed on black and brown communities by and large. And we have to ensure that some of that tax revenue goes back to our communities as part of remediation, right? Um, and uh, and and we're seeing that, right? Um, in in some states more strongly than others, right? But 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 that but that has to always be part of the equation, right? I, I want to see money go back to support you know, daycare, right? Employment opportunities, job development, um, scholarships, right? Um, and, and you know, we need to make sure that there's a steady stream of resources. So if a state is earning 500 million in, 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 in tax revenue, I wanna see, uh, you know, 25% of that flowing back into impacted communities, right? And for how long? Well, how well how long was the war on drugs? Right? If, the war on drugs was, if, if the war on drugs was 50 years, right? A half a century. Um, and and mind you, it still goes on. We we still have a half million we still have over a half million folks arrested in this country uh, for cannabis possession uh, with with folks of color black folks four and a half times more uh, more uh, likely so so the war on drugs is not over not 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 everywhere but yeah so 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 that part of taxation is real important you know, Steve, whenever, you know, whenever we air our episode, The War on Drugs, we're going to, you know, scratch out the drugs and put like blacks uh, over above it. Because when you look at, you know, the top aid from Richard Nixon, 
That's yeah. what he said. He said it was it, it, we had to figure out a way to vilify and demonize black communities, and we couldn't just do that until we you know fixed them up with heroin and attached them to that, uh, make it seem like they're the the biggest weed users and demonize that. So it's really important to talk about that. But one of the things that I wanted to make sure to mention up, especially in talking about taxation, Steve, because like I said, I lived in California. Um, and one of the things that I noticed is that people still bought from the local dealer, you know, the, the black market. There was still that reason. And when I asked them, you know, why would you not just go to a dispensary where it's legitimate, you know, pick what you want and that taxes? It's, it's, you know, and, and when I went to a dispensary, I saw the taxes were really, really high. Um, and it makes it to where it seems like we'll never root out the black market. So, you know, kind of talk to that, Steve. What can we kind of do maybe to reform the taxation policy with marijuana so we can actually have just a legitimate industry and, you know, kind of get rid of this black market? We have to we have to realize that how how the market is taxed um, impacts greatly who can who has the opportunity to come in and run a business, right? The folks still dealing on the street um, are locked out, right? You know, they are locked out of being able to be part of the legal market because they, you know, for several reasons, right? There's cost of operations and everything else, but the taxes, right? I mean, if you own a dispensary, you're, you know, your, your federal tax is 40%. Whatever the, the state is, is, uh, charging on top of that could be 30. So people, people, Adrian, are operating on the margins, right? They, 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 you know, they may have, so, so if you have an independent dispensary, you're, you know, you are just getting by at this point. And, and so taxes has that in, in impact, right? And until we're able to lower the tax rates to some, to something that is, um, you know, makes it possible for folks to leave the legacy market, right? Dealing, dealing outside to be able to have, have, uh, have a, uh, you know, legitimate businesses, right? Or at least businesses that are recognized, right? So 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 this is a huge problem. Even as they look at this federal bill now um that that has been introduced, that that's one of the issues, you know. How how much taxes, you know, what kind of um you know federal red tape is, is going to be there? Because all of that, all of that makes it hard for a small business operator someone of color who, you know, wants to have a shop to get started. And it ends up favoring the larger corporations that, you know, they have more resources, more people. They can absorb all of those startup costs and taxes in ways that, you know, um, somebody just wants to have a dispensary in California can't. You're absolutely right. <laughs> cause I was talking to a lot of people about, you know, cause I'm a, you know, somewhat of an entrepreneur and I tried to, you know, find different opportunities. Um, and that was one of the things I was looking into. And it's, like you said, it's, it's very difficult and it makes it easier for people just to sell on the corner. So, 
Uh, what we'll do, Steve, we're going to wrap up this segment here and we'll go into our third segment. Um, so listeners, stick with us. We're going to take another break and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. Let's get into our third segment here. Remember, we're joined today by Steve Hawkins. He's the president and CEO of the U.S. Cannabis Council. So, Steve, I wanted to kind of theme this third segment, you know, lobbying for change, really trying to, you know, push this thing forward. You know, one of the things that I see uh, is that there obviously is a lot of money in this industry. I also see on the other side is there are investment opportunities within this industry and when you think about it, there's a lot of apps like Robinhood, Ameriprise, E-Trade that have really made it easier for people who don't really have a whole lot to really get started in investing. So I wanted to kind of ask Steve, I don't know if, if you know, if, if one of your organizations or someone else, but is there any sort of campaigns being done to maybe educate minority communities on the investment opportunities with the cannabis industry? That's a that's a great question, Adrian. Um you know, and and what happens in right now in investment is two things. First, you have the fact that because cannabis is still prohibited by the federal government, right? Going back to the fact that it's uh, on us, it's it's on the same level with heroin. Um, you cannot be on the regular U.S. stock market, right? You know, every cannabis company is still considered under federal law to be an illegal drug operation. And so you can't get regular banking services, which again hurts folks of color try, trying to start small businesses because you can't get a bank loan. Um, but on the investment side, there's nothing in the regular stock market um, that's at least plant touching, right? So Part of the education, I think, for folks of color looking to invest is, is, is twofold. First, look at those companies that don't touch the plant but are involved um, in the industry. So like uh, Hawthorne, which is a subsidiary of Scott's miracle Grow, they, they supply a lot of the, the uh, nutrients to, uh, to uh, grow the plant, right? You have... Um, you have companies like Akerna that um, sell software. So there are, you know, you can look at the companies that that are ancillary, as we call it, that support the industry. They range also in transportation, security. And that's also something for folks of color to be mindful of. There are jobs where you do not have to touch this plant, but are very, very important jobs, right? From transportation, security, software development, like, you know, New York State, for example, just legalized cannabis. You know, I, I want to know which, which black law firm, right? Wants to <laughs> jump in there, begin to get that knowledge base about how to, um, how to succeed in, in licensing, right? Or, 
or being able to advise clients lead, lead legally, black accountants, black engineers, all of this is, is, a, is a wide open. So, um, so the other thing on investing, though, for folks to think about is the Canadian uh, stock exchange, right? Mm. Canada has fully legalized cannabis. Um, it is not on the Toronto stock exchange, but the Canadian stock exchange. Understand those folks. Under, folks should understand that those companies eventually will also have a stake in the United States. And for all of these companies, you know, they they're they're going to, you know, be 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 worth tenfold down down the road. So um, so those would be the places to look at investment opportunities now. Canada, as well as I think what what the ancillary companies, the non-plant touching companies, get a list of those and see which are on NASDAQ. Perfect. Yeah. We always like to educate people on, on different things they can do to better themselves. And that's awesome. One of the other things I wanted to touch on, because I, I was doing a little bit of uh, digging on the U.S. Cannabis Council's website, mm-hmm. and I saw where the mission mentions uh, creating an equitable and values-driven industry. And when we talk about the barriers of entry to the industry, that that you know that that struck a chord with me. Talking about you know being equitable and values-driven. So you know, I just wanted to kind of ask Steve, you know, kind of explain you know what a equitable and values-driven cannabis system looks like, and really how important is it for legislators to make sure as we do legalize, you know, marijuana more that we, you know, legalize it with equity and values in mind. Right. So equity really is three very key things, right? One is to recognize that folks had their lives destroyed through the war on drugs, the war on cannabis. What do I mean by, by that? Criminal records that have blocked some folks from being able to get jobs or housing or ed or, or, or education, right? So we want to make sure, first of all, we want to make sure anybody who's still in jail or prison for a cannabis offense gets out. We also want to make sure that records get expunged, right? If, if you have a, uh, you know, like, and we're doing that in states like Illinois, Jersey, California, right? These past cannabis offenses, Need, need need to be ex, ex, expunged and off of people's records. So that's number one in terms of equity. Number two, making sure that folks have um, opportunities to succeed uh, in, in business in, in, in this new industry and to be able to get jobs in this new in, in industry. So, you know, U.S. Cannabis Council is working on, you know, like I'm like I mentioned, trying, trying to create this uh, pipeline uh, for uh, uh, students to get entry-level jobs, reaching out to Black professional associations, Black black and Brown professional associations, and making sure that these barriers that make hard for people of color to to become, um, uh, you know, business owners, that those barriers come down, right? We need to make sure that there's more licensing opportunities, um, everything doesn't have to be on a massive scale, right? People should be able to have smaller, um, what do we call smaller growth facilities. So if you want to grow cannabis, you don't, you know, you know, some of these laws are written, so you have to be a big grower, right? No, you should be able to have a small, a small growth facility. You know, think about it this way, Adrian. Cannabis is going to become like 
craft beer, right? You know, people, <laughs> you know, people are going to want, you know, different strains and brands and people should be able to cater to, 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 you know, to it, to uh, people's particular taste. But then the last piece of equity, and this is where we talk from, ta- from taxation, right? We got to make sure that communities that were harmed, targeted by the war on uh, drugs get relief. Let me say this about police reform and cannabis, because folks, just to drive home this point. So when Nixon put cannabis on the same level as heroin in 1970, federal dollars around policing flowed from that, Adrian. When, When the federal government makes a drug the number one enemy in the country, federal dollars this, you know, incentivize local, local police to go after folks of color on the street around cannabis, right? Um, and that has defined American policing for a half a century, right? You know, I think about my own nephews stopped repeatedly growing up right outside of New York City, never any cannabis on them, but they were, but they were constantly harassed by the police. So whenever, so when we talk about a half million folks arrested for possession, right? You got to multiply that by at least five, if not ten, and then you begin to really think about all the police encounters that happen in our community day in and day out um, related to uh, cannabis. So um, again, right, that is the nature of the harm that's been done. And we got to make sure that as part of equity, we 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 get um, we we get some remediation for 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 how a community was what was targeted in in that way. Absolutely, I just really think that you know it, I don't know if it's going to take more education around it because there's so many different reasons for why we should have a robust cannabis industry, whether it be you know the taxation, job creation, the medicinal reasons, and I, I don't know if Steve, if we're going to eventually need some of these very successful individuals like former President Obama and current Vice President Kamala Harris who have admitted in the past of smoking marijuana and went on to do successful things. Um, and I'm, and it's, it's, you know, if you would like to speak to it, but do you, do you think, you know, if having, you know, some some really successful people who are out doing great things, but also say, hey, I smoke marijuana. I mean, it, we even were going to have a professor who admitted to uh, using heroin, uh, heroin on a daily basis. Do you think if we had some people who would just come out and say, hey, I smoke weed. I'm a CEO of this company. I can make great things happen. Is that kind of you think that'll help any? I think it would help uh, a, a huge amount, right? Because again, we have a certain, you know, again, Hollywood has created, right, the image of who uses cannabis, right? The stoner, somebody who's sitting around. But you and I know, look, folks listening to this should understand that there are there are investment bankers right now <laughs> handling billions of dollars uh, as we speak, right? And they may go home and take, you know hit on the joint or a gummy. Now, they may also like their scotch, right? Now, they may do that on the weekend, right? You know, when they have a little bit more time and they don't want to come to work buzzed, right? But but look, you know, people of all, of all um, walks of life are using cannabis in the United States. Um, and 
the more that folks, now the challenge is that those folks have to be able to put their head up, right? And say, I use cannabis uh, and, and it doesn't, you know, and it doesn't impact my, my performance, right? And, you know, creative people, it enhances, right? In, in, um, in uh, many respects, but, but we're still, this is part of a culture war that we're still fighting, right? You know, um, you know, when Shikari Richardson loses mm-hmm. the chance mm-hmm. to, to go for a gold medal at the Olympics, be, you know, over, over drug policy that the United States imposed upon the Olympics, <laughs> you know, it's like a boomerang, right? Um, so, yeah, this is, this is, you know, hopefully that will never happen to someone again. I am encouraged by the outcry from professional athletes and others to say, why was this young woman punished in, in, in this way? Um, you know, but this is, this is our next challenge, right? We, we, um, we, again, we've been defined by the propaganda around cannabis for a long, long time. The government put a lot of money into that propaganda, right? And we got to push back now. And it's beginning, but it has to definitely pick up steam. That's perfect. I like how you said that. I think, um, you know, we, when we were talking on the war on drugs, we, we gave out examples of like Germany and Portugal who have decriminalized all drugs. I know America is not anywhere close to doing that, but it shows a great glimpse of what we need to do with drug policy. And that's to be more progressive because like we've said throughout the conversation, people are going to do it, whether we make it legal or not, there's going to be the drug dealers on the market selling it. So we just need to, you know, jump on board. So Steve, what we're going to do, we're going to take our last break. When we come back, we just want to get your final message. So listeners stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. We're at our final message. Remember, we're joined today by Steve Hawkins. He's executive director of the Marijuana Policy Project and president and CEO of the U.S. Cannabis Council. Now, Steve, this is our final message, which is just a way to wrap up the episode and send it off to our listeners in a great bow and to kind of set your stage for the final message. Um, our country is really crazy right now. You know, pandemic, you know, racial tension, police brutality, climate change, the list goes on and on. And when you think about all of this, you know, mayors, governors, congressmen and women, and even our president aren't even really thinking about marijuana policy just because there's there's so many pressing issues. And I mean, you know, that's rightly so. Many citizens are just worried about their jobs, schools, bills, health care. So, Steve, for your final message, you know, leave us with something that speaks to why, despite all these other issues that our country is facing right now, why should the president, Congress, governor, state legislators, why should they all be really more concerned and have marijuana as a top priority, just like they have climate change, infrastructure and health care? That's a, that's a great question. And what I would add to climate change, infrastructure and health care is 
the continuing reform of our criminal justice system, ending mass incarceration, and ending the way policing has been done in this country for half a century. Um, we have had an awakening, right, that started, you know, before George, George Floyd, but certainly picked up steam with him that recognizes that how the police have treated communities of color um, um, has been the great stain on the, on the, on the country, right? And other, and other, other countries see what's happening. You know, Adrian, we have to see cannabis as part, cannabis legalization has to be seen as part of the civil rights agenda, right? That we need to change policing in this country. We need to stop allowing cops to use the scent of cannabis alone to justify a stop and search, right? So this isn't just about the business piece, right? And this is my final message to, to the folks listening, right? If we want to see police reform in this country, we have to recognize that police stop black and brown folks every single day because of the scent of cannabis alone, right? We need to be able to change all those laws. We need to be able to legalize cannabis so that we can change those, those, those laws. I come to this work out of a civil and human rights background, having done criminal defense work, you know, you know, throughout the deep south, right? So I am doing this work because I realize that we need to fundamentally begin to change our criminal justice system. And cannabis has been part of, it, it has been really at the heart of the war on drugs in our community for decades. And I want to see that changed. Absolutely. See, I, I am ready to see it change too. Um, I'm an advocate and activist uh, for the industry. So I'm hoping that it does change because when you think about it, cannabis is tied to, like we said, civil rights, criminal justice reform, police reform, prison reform, job creation. Out of our episode about the history of cannabis, our theme kind of came out basically saying legalizing cannabis is legalizing being black in America. Um, because when you criminalize it, you're basically criminalizing being black because so many of our people participate in it and so many of our people have been affected by it. So, Steve, I appreciate your insight throughout the entire conversation. Um, listeners, remember, we've been joined today by Steve Hawkins. He's the executive director of the Marijuana Policy Project and president CEO of the U.S. Cannabis Council. Steve, really, really appreciate you being on the show today. Well, thanks for having me, Adrian. Happy to come on anytime. Perfect. Perfect. So listeners, uh, I'm going to take one last break so I can come back with our ending. We'll say farewell to Steve, but stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, let's go ahead and wrap up our episode here. 
Don't forget, you can join Devin and me on this Saturday, September 25th for weekly roundup number 15. We're going to be bringing you some major news, breaking headlines, quick hits, some funny stuff here and there. So don't forget to join us for that. Also, September 21st, we're going to be doing our episode, Shock in the Labor Market. We'll have Ms. Valerie Wilson on. She's from the Economic Policy Institute. She's one of their directors, and she's over the program on race, ethnicity, and the economy. So she's a great expert to talk to us about the shock in the labor market and how it's affecting our communities. As always, remember, you can donate to us. We love it when you listen to us, but we would love it even more if you donate to us. Um, go to our website, blackagendapod.com. Click that Donate tab. If you're listening to us on the Podbean app, you can click the Donate right from the app there. You can start with a dollar, two, three, four, whatever you want to do. We always encourage you to give because when you give, you believe in our mission. When you give, you help to advance our mission because Devin and I, we don't want to just talk to amazing experts like Steve. Uh, we want to actually be able to lobby. We want to be able to fight for some of these things that we're talking about in our episodes and to do that, you got to have money. To do that, you got to have an organization. And if you help us out, we can make that happen. So please go to our website. Again, that's blackagendapod.com and click that donate button and start giving. The other thing that we always like to remind you is our charity of the month. And for our charity of the month for this month, uh, we have selected the organization 100 Black Men of America. Now, the 100 Black Men of America is a really, really nice organization here. And I know sometimes whenever we talk about it, it sounds like they're just uh, talking about, you know, men. But and you look at their mission, it's actually more than that. Their mission is to improve the quality of life within our communities and enhance educational and economic opportunities for all African-Americans. The 100 seeks to serve as a beacon of leadership by utilizing their diverse talents to create environments where our children are motivated to achieve and to empower our people to become self-sufficient shareholders in the economic and social fabric of the communities we serve. So really, really great mission uh, right there. Remember, you can like, follow, and share. We're on all the majors, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. Again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. Everything you see that comes out of our uh, social media pages, share that. Everything you see, make sure that you share it. Um, that, that really helps us out. Uh, make sure you go right now, pull your phone out, follow us. So that way, anytime you, uh, anytime we do put out information, you can instantly share that. Make sure you like it because we're really trying to get things up so that we can expand what we're doing here. Lastly, thank you to Steve and the Marijuana Policy Project. Really, really uh, glad that they were able to join the show today. Uh, shout out to them for all the work that they're doing to help to make uh, America have a robust uh, cannabis industry. And to the listeners, always appreciate you for listening. Can't wait to be with you on this upcoming uh, Saturday for week around number 15 with Devin. So until then, I'll catch you next time. 